0: Hi, and welcome to School of Hustle. I'm your host, Sarah, and this is the show where we chat with everyday entrepreneurs about everything that goes into starting a new venture. Throughout the many episodes of this show, I've interviewed entrepreneurs in all stages of their journey. And today, I am thrilled to introduce a serial entrepreneur that has achieved an elite level of success not commonly achieved. Alon J. Cohen is the CEO and co-founder of Opnet Technologies, which he built from the ground up and eventually sold for $1 billion. He's an inventor on more than 60 patents relating to software, networks, electronics, algorithms and simulation and has a degree in electrical engineering from MIT. After success like this, many entrepreneurs may go into early retirement, but Alon is different. He went on to become the CEO and co-founder of Bubble Up and Cobro Ventures, plus sits on the board of directors at C4 Therapeutics. Today we're going to sit down with him to learn how he built his empire and what advice he may have for aspiring entrepreneurs. Alon, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, nice to meet you.
0: I mean, it is such a pleasure to meet you because I'm so familiar with one of your ventures, which is Bubble Up. I use it literally every day. So thank you so much for creating that. Um, I'd love to just hear your story because you've achieved the level of success that most entrepreneurs really dream of. So can you just tell me, like, how did you get started?
1: How did I get started way back in the very beginning uh, as a child or with the first business? Well, I don't, why don't I tell you, I'll tell you that as a child, I was already interested in, in, in business. I was just like a lot of kids. I had a, the proverbial lemonade stand. Uh, but then I, you know, enhanced it and started selling arts and crafts. I wanted to make more money at my lemonade stand. And then eventually uh, my, my family moved uh, back to France where I was born and there... I, I took up stamp collecting. Mm-hmm. And I would go to the um, I, would, I would go to the stamp market in Paris by myself, you know, as a 7- or 8-year-old. And I would go and I'd buy stamps, and then I would sell them to other kids who were interested in stamp collecting, of course, for a profit. So... How old
0: were you at, at this
1: point? Seven, eight, nine.
0: So you really... Entrepreneurship runs in your blood, it seems. Yeah,
1: yeah. I did that for a while and made, made some money, uh, put it away. For, uh, for, to pay for college later. Uh, and then um, and then my family moved to Africa, kept on going with that same things, selling stamps and so on. I always had it in the back of my mind that I like this idea of running my own business. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess it was just a matter of time before I found another idea. And when I was in school at MIT, I was in a class, I had a, a graduate uh, project um, on data networking. And it was kind of the early days of the internet and networking was a really hot field. And I thought, what could I do in this field that would be innovative? And I came up with an idea for a project, the class required a project, and that eventually became my thesis. And then after I graduated, um, I told my brother, I said, you know, there's something here, we can start a business with this. And I'm very lucky to have my brother, Mark, uh, with whom I do everything. We do all of our businesses together. We're a team yeah
0: you guys have co-founded three businesses together is that correct
1: more than that more than that really yeah, we've co-founded quite a few and, and continue to do that and so we decided that uh we would make a you know we, we could have a go at turning this project that i had started in school into uh into a business mm-hmm. and we scrapped together some some money we scraped together some money i should say and we um you know from a few investors and we worked on turning it into a commercial product and then we just slowly grew yeah. the business and one of the points I'll, I'll make later talking about how to get how to get started in the beginning we took on a few investors you know I really- yeah, how did
0: you do that how did you get the investors and i believe you started this business in 1986. that's
1: correct well you know we talked to people we knew you know some people weren't interested some people thought we were crazy and then But we weren't asking for that much money. We we were trying to. We were trying to get twenty twenty five thousand dollars together. Yeah. And that's all we needed.
0: And what did what was that funding for initially? Just um, investing in equipment, or what did you use the funding for? Yeah,
1: buying buying some equipment, buying some computers. Uh, It's a soft. It was a software project, so we needed some computers. And PCs were not that cheap back then, so we needed some kind of. We needed bigger than PCs. We needed sort of like souped up engineering computers. So. So we needed the money for that and, you know, just other miscellaneous expenses. But for about a year, we worked on trying to get into a product. And then, of course, we needed to do a little marketing. But everything was done on a shoestring budget. And uh, so, so I was lucky because I had a support network. You know, I, I moved back into my parents' home after, after school. Uh, Mark had a job. Yeah. So he was making some money on the side. Or not on the side. It was his main job. Our company was on the side.
0: It was helping to fund the business. Yeah,
1: he, he put a little money in. He found a few people at work. His, his boss, his two bosses at work put some money in. They ended up becoming millionaires off of the few thousand dollars they put in.
0: For sure. So
1: um, so we put it together that way and, um, and then just slowly grew the business. You know, one customer at a time. Uh, we went out, did some shows, like some trade shows, gave presentations on our products.
0: So this is for opnet. Can you briefly explain what opnet does in the most simplistic terms possible?
1: (laughs) Well in the very beginning, opnet was a a product by geeks for geeks. It was definitely something we would sell to other engineers and it was used by people who were working on the fundamental technologies of the internet and of, of data networks. And so in order to develop those things they needed a way to prototype and simulate those those capabilities that they were creating without having to build the real thing first
0: right because it's way more expensive to do that full thing
1: yeah kind of like when engineers build a bridge they build a model of it first
0: that's exactly what i was thinking of yeah it's like architecture you build a miniature version of a skyscraper and then once you're you like the idea you build the real skyscraper
1: Exactly, you got it. So so here you're you're testing how the system is going to work and run and behave. And so people use it a lot, you know, in the beginning to engineer everything from telephone networks to networks on the space station, to networks on a on an airplane and the internet itself, some of the what we call protocols that are in the internet itself. And in fact, GoDaddy was a customer of ours.
0: Really? Oh, look at that! It comes full circle.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we and then we we grew it and then our our, our product started um, taking catching on and all the big service providers like GoDaddy, like AT and T, like Verizon, they were all using it, and so it grew and grew and we started um, creating new products. So by the time we were done, we probably had about a dozen products, including hardware products. That were used to monitor networks, et cetera. So
0: So how long did this take from your first customer to your first 10 customers?
1: That probably took about a year. That's good. To the first 10 customers. And then every year we pretty much doubled for a while. Wow. It gets hard to sustain that after a while.
0: Oh, for sure. And then
1: eventually we found some people were interested in investing in our company. We were interested in going public as a company. And we knew that to go public... Um, it would be good to have some people who had had that kind of experience before. So we brought on some late-stage venture capital, uh, people who obviously knew what they were doing in terms of taking a company public. And they were- And how do
0: you know when it's time to take a company public?
1: Well, you know you you need more funds, you know to do what you want to do. You have projects in mind and you need, so obviously one of the real purposes of going public is, is to raise money. Uh, another purpose is liquidity for, for founders and for employees. So they can finally have some money other than on paper. Right. (laughs) By that time I was ready. I wanted to, you know, I wanted. to, how many
0: years did that take you to go public? About a
1: dozen years before going public.
0: Okay. And then, and then
1: after we went, we went public in 2000 during the, uh, time where the stock market was having a huge crisis. Uh, the bubble was the bubble was uh at that point uh you know popping as they say right right um and or bursting maybe whatever the right term is but the it was it was it was the end of the dot-com boom okay and oh
0: and do you think did that work to your benefit no, in a way, or did it No, not hurt at all. You?
1: That was that was a very
0: tough right. Thing. I would assume that it would hurt you. I just- yeah. Well, we did well, but it was a very, very tough time
1: to go public. We were one of the last companies to go public in two thousand, and it was um, a real nail biter getting through. But once we did go, once we did get out onto the market, we did great, and we were one of the top ten IPOs of the year. And you know, we had a we had a, a lot of interest in the company. And then we ran the company as a public company for twelve years, okay. which is not easy because it's that's forty-eight quarters of growth that you have to have, and it, you know the markets expect it from a growth stage company that you grow every quarter by a
0: significant amount. So trying to find ways to continue that growth is very difficult for forty-eight quarters in a row. <laughs> very
1: tough, very stressful. It's a very difficult thing. I mean, I would tell people, you know, going public. Be ready. It's going to be a lot of work, and it's going to be a lot of stress. It's not an easy thing.
0: When you're an entrepreneur, you work all the time. I mean, it's hard to take a vacation. It is.
1: It is. It is. You have to be available all the time. I mean, if you're the CEO of a company, you need to be available to your team all the time.
0: Yeah. So in 2012, you actually sold the company yes. for one billion dollars, which is unreal. Congratulations on that! Thank you. Just tell me everything about that, please. Well,
1: um, there were people interested in buying the company. We also felt that it was a good time for the company to maybe be part of a bigger, you know, part of a bigger platform. Yeah. So we could have sales worldwide. For example, we had only we had been selling worldwide, but not as much as we could, there's so much more market share we could take in Japan, in China, in Australia, where we had a small small presence overseas. So to be part of a bigger platform would create value. So it made sense, you know, because when the larger company is willing to pay for some of that value, and then they're gonna realize, of course, even more value after that. And so it made sense and we're a public company and with offers, you know, you have to consider your offers, you're required to. And and it, so we thought it was a good move at the time, and of course we were thrilled, of course, with the number that you know we were able to realize. So,
0: so how does how do you come about that number? Like, can you explain that process? Because a lot of people would have no idea. I mean, how do you value a company at one billion? And right. Well, of course,
1: when you're a public company already, you already have a valuation which is given to you by the market. Yeah. So you have you have a market cap, and so. Beyond that, of course, it's a question of what people are willing to pay as a premium. Yeah. They're doing their own calculations to see what it would add to their market cap. And so it's, it's very much a, a financial exercise that is about you know, projections and, and revenue streams. And-
0: yeah. I mean, I imagine there's so many key elements to running a successful business like that. Can you talk about a few of those things that you think are absolutely essential to bringing a business from literally your mom's house (laughs) to a $1 billion company.
1: We were the real garage shop.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, like I said, you know, all of those steps that went in between. Of course, I think some of the key things that happen along the way are the people that you add to your team. Yeah. You're not going to get there by yourself. Um, And I know there are plenty of different stories out there about types of companies and types of management styles and types of corporate culture. Yeah. There are a lot of companies we never hear about because they didn't make it. And I think that corporate culture is a huge deal in terms of uh, the likelihood. You might have some companies where I think, you know, the management or the CEO is, let's say, uh, a style which is very draconian and it's my way or the highway. and, And I think that that probably lessens the chance of success. It can still work if you have an incredible vision everybody's working on and the market is right and people are there for the money and they see that it's happening and people might stick around. But not every business has all of those things. And in some businesses, you know, you need the team to persevere through tough times, like you were saying, you have crisis you have to go through. And so having that team dynamic to me is going to increase the chance of success. And having people who get along and work well together and aren't so ego-driven but are wanting to be part of a bigger something and derive their real satisfaction and motivation from that, I think is really important. So um, you never know, you know, what's going to happen and having those people who are loyal and want to be part of this is so key to me. So you have to look for the right people. Of course, talent is really key too.
0: How do you find them? For me, hiring people has been such a process for my business and you want the person to be as passionate as you are, and that's just not realistic when you own the company, no one's gonna ever be as passionate as you. Do you have any advice on how to hire? I have lots of
1: thoughts on the matter, because um, I've been through, you know, I've hired thousands of people, Yeah. over time, you know, had tremendous loyalty. I have people working for me still today who've been on my team for over 30 years. Even people, the few people who have left, have wanted to come back and many of them have come back. So
0: that's great
1: when we, well, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs do this when they build a second company, there are people from the first company who are part of that. Right. And and, and you, and you can, and you have a chance then to pick the very best and your very favorite people to the extent that you can accommodate more. You can even take more, but you only have so many slots. Right. Yeah, for sure. But I guess some of the tips I would give you are first of all, I think you can get some people to be close to as passionate as you because you know everybody's at a different stage in their life
0: mm-hmm.
1: and goals are always relative to where you are. And so you can give them an incentive both financial and in terms of career growth which is going to be to them very exciting. Yeah. When you get between very exciting and super exciting and incredibly exciting those are all pretty much similar, right? You have to share some of the ownership, ideally. Right. With your employees, you know, you were talking about how to to hire good people.
0: Yes. That
1: process of hiring is so, for us has been so key. First of all, we never have an interview that lasts less than a day. I mean, it's always at least a day. Um, and,
0: and how do you make it last that long? Because I feel like most interviews today are 30 minute, thirty to 60 minutes, and then, which is why a lot of the time things don't work out.
1: Yeah, because you haven't really gotten to know much about that person, right? No. I
0: mean, first of all, the last
1: thing you want to do is go over their resume and ask them to repeat what's on those. Yeah. What you want to do is um, dig into some of the things that are on their resume that you think were the most important and see if they can talk about them in an articulate way, in a way that proves they really did those things and they were really involved in those things and they weren't just part of some group of people who did it and they were just kind of a bystander. And they just wrote it on their resume. (laughs) Yes, absolutely, because that does happen, right? People can be part of something and they might not have been really intimately involved in it, yet they're going to still put that there on their resume. But I think you have to also do some kind of a mock situation, at least one or two, where you have to do what they're going to do in their job. Yeah. So you can observe and you can see how they react. It might be a little bit contrived. It's okay. In our case, a lot of our products are tech products. We're, we're doing, you know, we're creating software.
0: So do you have them do a test?
1: Yes, absolutely. We have them, you usually do around three or four during the day where really? they have some interviews where it's not a test, but then at least three or four problems that they have to solve in real time we give them 30 minutes go do something and then we talk about it Mm. it's not about getting it right or wrong it's about how they their thought process you know turns out to be uh how they can explain it to you so
0: oh interesting so for you if they get it wrong it's not an end game
1: right and can you think of a better way to have done it and if i point out a problem to you can then you maybe you couldn't see the flaw in it yourself but then if I point out a flaw or an improvement. Could you then take it to the next level by yourself? Yeah. Just to have a discussion with somebody and you see if, you know, we're kind of similar, not necessarily similar thinkers, but if they have, they're familiar with those kinds of thought processes that are important in your company.
0: And how important is it to you that they are similar thinkers versus,
1: no. you know, maybe
0: they have a, a completely different um process of thinking something through
1: oh no that'd be fine if they're completely different but they, mm-hmm. if it's interesting and if they can justify it and explain it you know so yeah. it's, it's not about when i say similar i mean i really actually i think i corrected myself i meant more like a, a thought process which is um you know the kind of thought process that is applicable to the
0: problem the situation solving,
1: situations you're in some situations yeah. you have to think on your feet some are like standard well-known kinds of techniques that exist in the field and they should have learned in school maybe or on the previous job. So it just depends on what you're doing. But regardless of what it is, that dialogue that happens during that time is gonna tell you a hundred times more than just kind of like a conversation.
0: Yeah, so what what about this situation? They're really good at what they do, but you just don't get along with them.
1: Mm, This is a problem. I mean, I guess you'll have to decide if it's fixable. And and maybe give it a few attempts at fixing it. I have definitely fixed some situations. Yeah, you have to get to the heart of why it's not going well in terms of interpersonal. Usually, the problems I've had to fix would have been interpersonal among other people, not with my, with me.
0: Yeah, and managing people is so difficult. So that's that's one of the most challenging things for most small business owners. And as someone who has technically run a small business at a certain point. Now you're running several large businesses. Yeah. Do you have any tips on on managing people and working through challenges like that? Yeah,
1: well well first of all, if you do have a challenge like that, I would say, like I said, you gotta find out what's really what's really going on. What's the real rub between these different people, you know? And sometimes it could be an ego problem. Sometimes you have to re you have to kind of separate people and have them work separately. I've done that successfully have them oh. work on different areas of the company and then they each have their own little turf. Um, but ideally you want to avoid these ego, these people with huge egos to begin with. Okay. If you can, yeah. uh, if if you do end up having these ego clashes between people, ultimately if you can separate them, that's great. But sometimes one of them is going to have to go.
0: How do you find like sometimes I've experienced people that they're really big talkers mm. and they make it seem like they're very important, but then most of the time they're not sure. in that situation, but sometimes they are. And so how can you tell the difference between the big egos and the people that have actually accomplished something?
1: Well, I mean, I think you should have a pretty good idea of how good they are at their job. They're already on After the After all job, the
0: tests you can, that uh, you
1: put them well, through. I'm talking about during the hiring, but then, once they're on the job, you can see who the producers are and who the people are who are you know, really capable. But I will still say that it's really important for people to be team players. To me, the team is everything. Um, and, and even the most talented people ideally act as mentors to other people. And, and right. that's, that's what I have been really fortunate to find most of the time. Every once in a while, you have to make a few corrections. But I think there are a ton of really good people out there who want to be part of a team and want the team to be successful, and they realize that everybody has their niche in the company, everybody has their place. And this is another really important um, thing that's been successful for me in my career. Uh-huh. I've been, I have watched people uh, and seen what their strengths are, and then over time, try to play to their strengths. So you try to change, you try to change their job definition to enhance the amount of that particular thing at which they are really good, And then if possible, sometimes you even change them into a different job because you know that they have an interest in that uh, and they're going to be good at that. And so fitting just the simple concept of constantly kind of moving your pieces around on the chessboard, if you will, to have the people match as closely as possible with what they're going to be good at is really important. And people appreciate it because you're also putting them you know, giving them opportunities to do something different and new that they like.
0: You got to get bored doing the same tasks. Some sometimes. people do and
1: some people don't. And that's another thing to keep keep an eye out for because some people you can tell they're going to want something new in a year or two. And, and then you want to tell them, listen, I, I know you like this. And as time goes by, we're going to get you more and more of these kinds of projects and more of this kind of responsibility. And people appreciate knowing that they have that to look forward to. So this concept of Moving people into different areas of your company, as your company grows, this becomes possible. And you want to definitely do that because that's one of the things that builds loyalty and people feel like, you know, I have a home here because they feel like things can change and evolve and everybody wants to evolve over time.
0: For sure. Mm-hmm. You also, before we had this interview, you mentioned the importance of staying motivated and growing a company. Yeah. Sometimes this can be really hard, especially when you don't see successes or if you have so much success, like what you had, that you're kind of like, why even, like, why do more? I just made a billion dollars. So why not
1: retire, right?
0: Right. Why not retire? Well, what keeps me
1: motivated is what has always kept me motivated from the beginning is I still haven't lost that um, interest in taking an idea from its inception all the way to reality and then, you know, testing it out there in the world. So that that whole process of um, the creative process is what gives me the biggest high that I can have. Yeah. You, you know, you have an idea. It, it all starts in one moment. It's incredible to believe. I can still remember the moment I thought about the idea that launched the company that we sold for a billion dollars. It only takes wow. a second. And then yeah. be careful because in one second, you could determine the next 20 years of your life. It's yeah, so
0: scary that, when you put it
1: like that. That is true. It's true. It's true. Right. And that's true for so many things in life. But, oh my God. you got so you gotta you gotta be careful what you think about during that second. <laughs> yeah. so,
0: yeah, I, so how do you how do you direct yourself <laughs> to the right decision? I mean, there's so many ideas wow. that pop in our heads as entrepreneurs yeah. and How do we know when we're pursuing the right thing and what should we pay attention to Uh, when we're starting a business? I mean, yeah, you
1: have to have, hopefully, you know, you have a good head on your shoulders and you can reason about whether or not this idea has really has legs. Can it get somewhere? Is there a, like, you know, is there a market? Will people be interested? Why are they going to be interested? Test it with other people. Talk to people. Don't live in isolation. You want to, challenge yourself, don't just drink your own Kool-Aid. So for a while in the beginning, you need to be thinking, does this really have an opportunity to succeed? And then what about the competition? There's so many things that can cause you to fail. And then there's another problem of course, which is raising money.
0: It's very challenging for most people raising money.
1: Absolutely. And and another another word of advice to early entrepreneurs, I, I think is be skeptical about your own plans. Everybody has like a two-year plan and a five-year plan and so on. Well, first of all, when you're in the very beginning, five-year plan is not very meaningful. You know, the, the first two years are going to change your five-year plan. So see see if you can get out to market and selling your product. You know, that's maybe a two-year plan. Depends on what your business is, of course. But you need to be skeptical of your own plan. And everything takes longer than you think. And everything is harder than you think. And everything is more expensive than you think. So you can just go ahead and multiply everything by two or three right off the bat,
0: you know? So sad, but so true. So what are some specific pitfalls that people should look out for when they're starting a business?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that that's one of them. I, I think another one is that's, that's pretty important is if you get investors and people who believe in you, some people are so grateful to have those investors, right? That they're ready to give away the farm. And so they start, they start, giving away so much stock in their company that they don't even realize that there's going to be another round of investment later and then probably another round of investment later. And by the time they're successful, they might own such a small percentage of their own company that they're not even really in the control position anymore. And so as a result, other people could actually take your baby away
0: from you. That's scary. That's really scary. It's absolutely scary. So
1: you've got to be very... Uh, you know of course you need those investors and you need to attract them but you need to be pretty tough you know hold the tough line when you're giving away it, when you're giving away stock in your company to investors and 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 um, negotiate because uh, you want to be sure that you're gonna hold on to control or, or at least a commanding position like a dominant position in the stock for a long time
0: right. I want to talk again about um, you, you sold your first company for $1 billion. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would have said, why continue at that point? But my question to you right. is what, to what extent is success in entrepreneurship about the financial rewards?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy the lifestyle benefits of, uh, of succeeding financially, but there's more – listen – Money is good for many things. Uh, You know, it's a universal currency, obviously. So it's good for many things. Part of it is your own lifestyle. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. But also part of it is what you can then do with it on the next round, right? What else can you do with that money besides travel and have a beautiful place to live and and such things? Yeah. You can start new businesses, okay? And then, okay, so you might say, well, that's just kicking the can down the road. You're just getting more money. What are you going to do with that? And, but the point of it is that you can you can have an impact on the world in various ways. Some of those businesses might be, uh, well, first of all, hopefully all your businesses are doing something for somebody, right? Right. But beyond the fact that there's a service you're providing, there are so many great causes in the world. Uh, you know, there are so many people who are less fortunate. There are so many people who unfortunately have been afflicted by a disease. Uh, there are people who need help with so many different situations in their life. And it is a tremendous, tremendously satisfying thing to be able to have an impact on other people's lives uh, who are in those situations and to give back in that, in that way or in any other way. Um, It could be giving to a school. It could be helping kids. It could be helping people who have a disease. Um, Some, some of it is uh, purely philanthropic and some of it is philanthropic investing. So with my brother, Mark, we've, Uh, funded quite a few biotech companies that are working on cures for important diseases uh cancer several different types of cancer one of them one of them which is very interesting that we were we were the first investors in is a company called frequency therapeutics which uh is developing a cure for hearing loss
0: wow
1: so we can make money off of that company but we're also at the same time helping people helping people right so we're investing
0: percent of the world
1: yes exactly investing in things that are gonna make people's lives better
0: well i'm certainly thankful that you're doing all of this research and you've created so many helpful things that impact my life directly you're the co-founder of bubble up uh, which is a cloud-based software i like to explain it to people it's like a combination of pinterest and google drive so it's very visually uh easy to use, um, but it also has all of the features that you would need, like in Google Drive, kind of, for those that aren't familiar with it. Um, if, if you don't know what it is, you should download. It's actually free to download, um, and there's different levels of storage space that you can purchase. Why did you decide to get into that whole thing?
1: So the, the idea was, like with many entrepreneurs, I think to relate back to entrepreneurship, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs rightfully think about when they want to start a business is either because they stumbled on it or it was something that was very present in their life or they noticed that other people were having some kind of a problem, some kind of, some kind of uh, improvement that was possible. They noticed that you know there was something that wasn't completely satisfactory and they felt like there is some room to create a better solution of some kind mm-hmm. right? for, the, for whoever that population is, that audience that is going to become your market uh, if you go ahead. And so, so I was thinking about something that I wasn't completely satisfied with. And I felt for me with Bubble Up, the, the initial thought uh, was that this activity that we perform online all the time, which is a cycle of like searching for information and then trying to save it somehow, hang on to it, yeah, and then maybe sharing it with other people. And that, that cycle is not satisfactory because the reason it's not satisfactory is each of those things is separate. None of those things is really well stitched together with the next stage, right? So there's no, there's no smoothness, no seamlessness to that cycle. And so the idea was to create some, something that we would put in the hands of users that would allow them to smoothly move through those different steps and, uh, and do those things better and also just with a lot less effort. So that was the idea of bubble up. And so you start with search. What can we do to improve search? People are also constantly fiddling with their search terms. Let me play with it. Let me change the keywords a little bit, come up with something different. Of course, search is tremendously powerful, but as you're doing that, you're seeing some hits. How do you keep those? And then like find some new ones, find some way to save them easily. People can use bookmarks, but bookmarks are not attractive.
0: It's kind of disorganized. And I think bubble up made that whole process really easy. And that's why I use it every day. Like literally, I'm not even exaggerating. I'm so glad to
1: hear that. Oh, once once you start using Bubble Up, you start using it more and more and more and, and yeah. it becomes, becomes part of your everyday productivity. I
0: use it with my tour guides. I use it with my editor. I even use it with GoDaddy.
1: Oh, wonderful. But if you want to share with somebody on a project you're working on, you have a lot to, lot to share texting or messaging any kind of messaging platform it's kind of it's kind of unsatisfactory for that because it's just kind of a linear set of posts and you don't have everything organized in a way where you can manipulate it you can change it the way you want you can then have social features where you can comment on it yeah you can react to it um and and, and but mainly organizing then you can create subcategories and really give an organization to information because anytime you get involved in a project which is, you know, more substantial, like let's say it's planning a trip. Let's say it's buying gifts for the holidays. Let's say it's renovating your house, whatever it might be. Let's say starting a new company, right? Let's be on topic here. You're starting a new company. You're going to have a lot of information you have to track. You need a place to put it and you need a place to organize it. And then what bubble up does also, besides having very powerful features for organizing it is to try to make it intuitive by making it very visual. So you have pictures associated with everything.
0: And that's why I like to explain it as a kind of like Pinterest in a way, visually.
1: Right. Visually. It's a lot like Pinterest because pictures are the way you identify things. Yeah. Then when you dig into those things in bubble up with Pinterest, it's mainly about web pages and photos, Mm -hmm. but in bubble up, you can put any kind of information. So you can put documents, you can put web links, you can put photos, uh, you can put your own notes. So it's a, it's a anything you want. So what it, to do is to get you to think about your organization in terms of topics instead of the type of document yeah so we're sort of building this what i call a graph over the internet of things that are related to each other by real people and then then we can use that to give people suggestions and so that's what we call bubbling up things bubble up uh based on what you've seen
0: so that's why it's called bubble up yeah that's the It all comes together.
1: Uh
0: huh. <laughs> so, I have some questions for you um, specifically relating to entrepreneurship and how other people can be successful, okay? So, what would you say is one thing that has made you successful, like the top thing?
1: Okay. First of all, just like an entrepreneur or a business person in general is no different than an athlete, okay? You, are, you have some athletes that are successful in the same sport because of their speed or because of their strength or because of their intelligence for that sport, like their strategy or their tactics. And some people have different amounts of each of those skills, right? And, and maybe it could be like how high they jump or whatever it is that they have. Each person has a unique blend of skills. And so it's not going to be just the same thing for each person.
0: Everyone has their own strengths.
1: Exactly. And and so figuring out your strengths and then also, you know, figuring out your weaknesses and working on those.
0: And hiring people that can do those things. Hiring
1: people. If you haven't figured that problem out, then you know, you need to get help on that. Knowing that you need to get better at something super important and working on it and accepting that and admitting it and not just assuming that you already have some kind of, God-given talent for everything. Nobody has every skill. You have to work on some things and can be better at everything. But I would say the most important thing is knowing why you want to do this that you are doing right now. Always have a clear connection with your reasons for having this business. Why? Because you're gonna run into a lot of problems. And as you run into those problems, and you're going to have a lot of days where you're saying, why am I even doing this?
0: Oh my God, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll just go get a job where somebody else makes the decisions and I just have to do what I'm asked to do.
0: It's so much easier, but it's so less satisfying. Well,
1: there's that satisfaction, but you have to know, like, why am I doing it? Maybe you're doing it just because you want to prove it to yourself. And that is important. That's okay. But if you can figure out the top one, two, or three reasons, why you are doing this and always keep them in your mind, write them down, put them on a, put them on a, a, on a bulletin board, something, you know, have a note somewhere. And just remember I'm connected to this for a reason. And, and hopefully that motivation stays with you the whole journey because it's going to be important. Otherwise, that's kind of like your seatbelt when you get into a bumpy,
0: right? Otherwise you can veer off the road and go in the wrong direction. Yeah. You got
1: to have your compass, right? So I would say, Number one, re- number one thing is have your compass.
0: All right, that's a good answer. It's very good. I did not see that one coming, but uh, now uh, that uh, you said it, I'm thinking, wow, that is so true. I mean, without motivation, what do you have? Right. A hundred percent. That's very, very important. So, what? Here's my. I have three questions. This is the second <laughs> one. Okay. Okay. What's one thing that you learned along the way that you wish you knew when you started?
1: Ooh could have done a better job at many points along the way. I think I'm much better at it now, but you know that's it's in the rear view mirror now. I think the part about really, truly understanding my market, I feel like you can never do enough research. I think like sometimes it's too easy to just go on your gut feeling and feel like people are gonna want this, people are gonna like this, and not ask enough other people and I wish I had done more of it earlier. I would have hit my targets better and trusted in other people's opinions a lot more uh, and dialed down my own.
0: That's really good to know. All right, my last question to you. What is one piece of advice that you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur?
1: I would say that you are going to meet many people in your journey as an entrepreneur. You are gonna work with probably investors unless you already have your own capital. You are going to have employees and you are going to have customers. And all of those people are going to want to know what your business is about and what makes it special and what makes it interesting and why it provides value. And that means that you have to be on point and you have to be articulate about answering that question when anybody asks. First of all, your investors are really going to want to know because they're putting their money at risk. Yeah. So they're going to want to know, tell us why we would put this money here instead of somewhere else. Why is this going to be special? Why does it have uh, the potential that you say it does? So you really have to think those things through yourself. They're going to ask you also about competition. You have to be you know, aware of all of that. But be very articulate about why your business makes sense Okay. from all those different facets. And you're going to be in a much better place because everybody's going to want to know and you need all those people to understand.
0: Well, that is very helpful. Um, This has been so eye-opening and informative. And I just feel like I'm going to go and start a billion-dollar company right now. So thank you so much for speaking to me today and to sharing your advice. It's just been wonderful having you on the show along.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on the show and let me know what your billion dollar idea is because I want to invest.
0: Oh, well then, (laughs) I sure will. (laughs) As soon as I think of it.
1: Be ready to answer all my questions.
0: Oh, I'm going to be so ready for it. (laughs) Ah,
1: Thank you so much.
0: And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. If you want to learn more about Bubble Up, you can go to bubbleup.com and that is all for this edition of School of Hustle. Now, if you want to check out our other episodes, you can watch them on YouTube or you can listen on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you can stream and download podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with a friend and leaving a review. I'm going to see you next time. Bye. When the low we out, we going high.